Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Life After GDPR podcast, where we discuss digital marketing in a post-GDPR world. I'm your host, Rick Dronkers, and in today's episode, I get to interview Alejandro Zielinski, Global Digital Tracking Lead at HelloFresh. Today's episode is a special collaboration with the DDMA, the Dutch Data-Driven Marketing Association, and their Digital Analytics Summit, which will take place on October 13th in Amsterdam. This event is fully dedicated to digital analytics and consists of three interesting tracks. The technical track, where we focus on GA4, BigQuery, server-side tracking. Then there's a more cultural track, which is about how to build your data analytics team. And of course, a privacy track where we focus on all the things that we also discuss in this podcast. Speakers include today's guest, Alejandro, but also previous guests like Simo Ahava, Steen Rasmussen and Melody Berlage. There are also many more other speakers from other great companies. You can get your tickets at digitalanalyticsummit.nl and with the code LIVE AFTER GDPR in all caps, you can get a 20% discount on your ticket. Now let's dive in with today's episode with Alejandro Zielinski from HelloFresh. Alejandro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Reid. You are the global tracking measurement lead for HelloFresh. Yeah, that's a huge statement <laughs> for sure. What is it that you do and uh, how would you describe it? We take care of data collection pretty much. The team, what it does is just to set up the technology for making analysts being able to do their jobs in the end. I always say we collect data so you can have a job later and do whatever you want to do with, with, with that, of course, with a legal bounds and everything. We set up all the data collection for both marketing and product analytics. The data that we collect can go from just a Facebook pixel or a Facebook conversions API to, I don't know, we need to collect how much people are selecting tomatoes in their recipes and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's a pretty wide range of things that we collect for sure. And for the people that don't know HelloFresh, how would you, uh, what's your, what's your short pitch on what, what the company does? It's a meal kit company, I would call it. Basically, you select some recipes weekly on our platform, and then you get those recipes on your door in a box a few days later and with all the ingredients measured, and you can just cook them and have whatever menu you want to have it. If you want to have the same dish five times a week, or if you want to have five different dishes or seven, whatever you, you want to do with that. But yeah, it's pretty much what we do. We send food to you. I'm a, I'm a customer myself, so my, uh, my cooking creativity is, uh, is spawned by, uh, by HelloFresh. I can imagine you guys have a, you have a large web platform, but also really large app platforms, because personally, I use app mostly. Yeah, actually, so something's curious about it is most people actually buy their first box or their subscription through their website, either desktop or, or mobile. Uh, and then pretty much they manage their subscription through the app, all the cancellation and basically selecting the meals and all of that. But yeah, it's typically that behavior, like all the purchase stuff happens on the web and then pretty much people just go through the app to manage their subscription. So that's uh, some interesting attribution challenges you got right there. I, I mean, the, the, the good thing is that, yeah, mostly the attribution, it, it, since it works on web, it, it's fine or so far it's fine. You have more challenges for sure on apps, like yeah, with uh, Apple doing whatever they are doing more. Android soon will also follow up on that. So, so yeah, 
We have some challenges on the app for attribution, but it's mostly web, at least for the purchase. Then you have other attribution for reactivations, cancellations, and stuff like that. On the Digital Analytics Summit on the 13th of October, you are going to have a great talk about basically the immense setup you guys have built on server-side tag manager. I also want to want to talk about it with you, but we are going to talk about the uh, perhaps one of the reasons why you you guys chose to do that. So we're not going to spoil everything that you're going to talk about on the summit, but uh, maybe we'll cover some of those topics. But can you, in a summary, explain what you guys have built over the last, I think, one and a half year now? Yes, and let's let's go to one and a half there to, to round up. So what we have done is, again, Google Tag Manager server, that's the, what's in everyone's mouths lately, especially if you have been working with Tag Manager in the past year. So server-side tagging pretty much has helped us with like increase quality of the data that we are collecting. And we needed a platform pretty much that helped us measure everything or every hit that, that we were having or the amount of traffic that we were having. We record something like 3 billion events per month across all the brands and all the countries for sure. It's not a specific one. But uh, yeah, it's something like a thousand hits per second. We needed a platform that uh, handled those things. Also connecting to APIs internally to enrich data. And the other thing that we wanted to really have is improve browser performance. We were having a big issue with uh, a lot of marketing tagging on the browser, on the client side. And pretty much it was a, a jungle uh, out there and uh, every local market had its own, oh, let's install this. Oh, wait, let's install that. It, it, it was a free market for everyone. And and that was impacting performance a lot on the side. Yeah. There wasn't anything standard for sure. So, so you would have separate tag managers for HelloFresh Netherlands and HelloFresh Germany and like all the countries would have their own container. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right now we still have that for very specific things. We have a global container, but for very specific things like some trackers, uh, like Hotjar or Usabida, stuff like that for tracking surveys or tracking some heat maps and stuff like that. We do that locally, but uh, most of the data collection, Google Analytics or first party solutions or things like sending data to ben marketing vendors like Facebook, TikTok or Snapchat or whatever we are using commission junction for affiliates and stuff like that. We do it through APIs right now. And we do it on the server side on using GTM server in this case. And that's the thing, like we can enrich data in the fly. We can redact data that they don't actually need. We can control what they actually get and what they not, which is very important, especially in, in, in the context of Europe and also in Japan that we are, we opened recently. Yeah. Cause what, what you just described is basically you have centralized data collection, right? Which is, I think for, for a lot of people who are, who are actively working in this day. You know, they get excited about this idea of, wow, I can, you know, control all this mess and, and, and get it through one pipeline and make sure that, that make sure that you measure the same way across all countries, which is, I guess, really beneficial for you. Yeah. It was the main reason also that, that we went for that. Also, we wanted to replicate like having a super low late latencies and, and all of this basically not depending on where Google decided to put the servers to serve some scripts or. Facebook decided to put their scripts on physically, but yeah, basically we've served now everything from a local server in this case. Yeah. 
So I guess in, in your talk at the Digital Analytics Summit, you're going to dive deeper into uh, the technical aspects and, and, and what, you, what you went through. But I think, yeah, there's also a privacy aspect, a GDPR aspect to it. Yeah. How, yeah what's, what's your take on that? We take care, we really take care of that. Uh, and we, we really respect the user's choice in this case. We'd, uh, we, we even have the policy of if you don't accept, basically, we don't even send the, the hit to the server on, on what you're doing. Like, uh, it's not that we get it first on the server and then we decide if we send it or not based on your consent. So you, of course, get the cookie banner or whatever you want to call it, the consent banner is this case. You get the consent banner and then from there we decide or you decide actually as a user if you want to be tracked or not and on which category calls on that performance or targeting cookies and stuff like that. I mean, by experience, most people either accept all or reject all. I can say this with that 99% of the people, it's, it's, uh, it works like that. Like I, I have seen that on the cookie acceptance uh, platform that, that we use, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much like this. So what we asked you to do is interact with the banner first and then interact with the site. Actually, we block completely the navigation before you accept or reject. We don't really mind what you choose, as, but please choose something. <laughs> <laughs> the way you have implemented it, you also refrain from actually loading any third-party JavaScript in the browser, right? Pretty much what we are doing uh, with, uh, so for example, with uh, the GTM scripts, uh, the gtm.js script and and. And for example, we don't use uh, the, the GTAC, we do use GTAC, for example, for, for GA4 and all of that, but we load those scripts directly from GTM server. So what we're doing is actually acting as a proxy uh, between Google and, 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 uh, and, and the browser in this case. So yeah, we reserve like a cache uh, version of, of the script for about, I don't know, 10 minutes, five minutes, but pretty much uh, 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 yeah, Google doesn't receive the request directly from 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 their browser. So, uh, I mean, of course, uh, yeah, you can you can argue that you're still sending data to Google because it's Google Tag Manager and it's in the Google Cloud Platform. But but yeah, it's a server that in theory we control and own because it's a we pay for it and and we own the infrastructure in that case, even if it's a cloud. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we've had these discussions before on the podcast, like. If we go down that route, then uh, a lot of the internet's infrastructure will, uh, you know, we'll have to rebuild. Four top cloud providers in the world are the US based, so, or US headquarter. So let's, uh, let's park that discussion. We don't need to uh, drag that one up, but I'm, uh, I'm mostly interested in, uh, in how you, you guys are handling it. So I, for GA4, you are using the GTAC script, but I think for universal analytics, you were only using the measurement protocol. That's correct. We we are uh, so so we we having Google Tag Manager client. We have something that constructs or builds the measurement protocol hit, uh, measurement protocol version one hit, and then we send that to GTM server directly. We don't use the Google Analytics tag itself uh, with the, the transport URL and all of this, but pretty much we build the 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 hit ourselves and then we send it to to the server and from there we take it from. I think currently that setup would not work for GA4 with the measurement protocol limitations, but yeah, yeah, it, it wouldn't work. 
we do use like like it said we do use GTAC, but GTAC served in this case from the server and not from Google directly. And also we construct the GTAC. It's, we we actually don't use the the GTAC the the GA4 tags inside Google Tag Manager the client. We actually also have a template that builds the the GTAC parameters and all of this. If I simplify it for people that are like thinking, what are these two geeks talking about? Basically, you are taking a lot of steps to deconstruct and to control every aspect of what you are loading in the visitor's browser. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we try to load as little as possible. I mean, there are cases that we, uh, some vendors that we cannot control because they don't have the option and marketing needs them, but still we control the consent uh, of what's being sent or not. Uh, so, so. If we don't have it on, on the server side, we have it uh, on the client side, but both respect the consent in this case. And then on the server, we do some things uh, like some pre-processing uh, of the data, like redacting the IP address, removing the last octet or removing the, the, the email addresses. Actually, I mean, they are hashed and all, and all you want, but basically, yeah, the hash is just transforming the data in the end. If you have a like Google or Facebook, if you have a list of emails that you can pretty much hash them yourselves and then compare and know who this person is. But yeah, in GDPR countries, we actually don't send the email at all to, to vendors, basically. Okay, so, so let's walk through that. So I visit hellofresh.nl, the Dutch website, for instance. It's GDPR country. You set like, basically based on the website URL, you set that it's GDPR country. So when it comes into server-side tag manager, you are aware like, hey, this hit needs to be processed in this certain way. That's how you've set it up? Pretty much we detect, hey, this request com comes from this top level domain. And th that top level domain actually needs to have the data redacted in, in some manner. So uh, every single field that we have pretty much compares to that lookup table. And then it says when it needs to be done. And then in that case, for instance, for the Facebook conversion API that is loading, you decide not to share my hashed email address. Exactly. Yeah. And that's actually the only fee. Well, it depends on, on your definition of PII, depending on who you are. But Facebook typically asks you to send like your first name, last name, phone number, stuff like that. <laughs> Everything about you. We actually don't even have that available on the transaction itself. I mean, we do have your address because we need to send you the box, the HelloFresh that has that. But the data layer that we use, we pretty much don't expose that to the public. We only have your email in there and then we hash it. And if we are in a different country that is not GDPR, then we send it. Not pretty much. We, we, we do it. So I think you guys also have brands in the United States. So in the United States, perhaps you share the, the hashed email address with Facebook. Uh, Google, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. We, we yeah. do this. Uh, Pretty much in, in all brands. I think this is this is really interesting for like people listening that have the same challenge of serving multiple countries because that introduces complexity, right? Because you will have marketing teams in multiple countries. And so I have a couple of clients that serve both US and EU. And always the people in the US are like, hey, I want to share more data with Facebook because I want to get better performing campaigns. How would you go about this challenge if you had only one top-level domain, right? So everything was being served from something.com. We would probably have some kind of parameter in the background to see where this client is from. So uh, this customer is from. 
I mean, like, like I said, we still need your address to deliver you the box. So in the end, we would somehow find out, okay, this is a US customer. We cannot do that with this person. Of course, we just still have the challenge before they sign up or if they even register to the site. I'm guessing some kind of IP address comparison, sort of like what Google Analytics do that basically they find out the city where you're in based on a database of IP addresses. We would have to pay extra money to do that for sure, to have access to that database. But yes, it would be based on the approximate location of that user. Yeah, this uh, always this situation always gets me confused a bit because on one end you are they don't want you to use the IP address for identifying, but then on the other end you will need to use the IP address to identify if the user is a Europe is entering the website from the European Union, right? <laughs> this is my interpretation for sure. You can still use the IP address, not to send it to a third party. I think that's what the European Union is trying to make you do. Don't send it to a third party. You can still use that to process and decide what to do with, with the data as a first party. And of course, with the consent of the user, but I mean, the consent in this case, if you enter to the site, you're still loading the assets from us. So we have, our server will have the IP address. If we decide to use it or not, that's another question. But that's how internet works and how servers communicate in the end, either on IPv4 or IPv6. It doesn't matter. It's an IP address and you need to know, the server needs to know where to send the data back. So it yeah. needs the IP address at some point. But especially for the geo lookup, right? So even in the, in the setup that you have, where you use the top level domain, you could still argue that if a US citizen who is browsing, who is at that moment in the US is going to hellofresh.nl, then GDPR does not apply to them. So that makes it, that makes it really complex. Actually, the rules that, that we have right now, or the rules to set up that banner, is if you come from the US, we don't show up the banner. Keep you busy moments. I think that the, also the main thing is that typically we don't have customers in Netherlands that visit from the US. because Mostly because we don't have the unique top-level domain that you will mention. We have the service we deliver, we deliver only in Netherlands, and, and we ser- give that service back to you only if you are in Netherlands or Germany or Spain or Ireland or, yeah. Yeah, that's a sort of a filter right? that helps a lot uh, with this issue. <laughs> it helps a lot, for sure. I, 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 I would say I'm lucky to have at least that set up. But yeah, I'm guessing there would be some kind of way. Uh, there were, Even if we had a single domain, I'm guessing the traffic would be served on a folder, basically, yeah, like slash US slash NL. Like we need to differentiate the, the customers in some way by the locale, by whatever variable they have. Even... Maybe not by the IP address, but by the language that you have on your browser or something like that. So let's switch a a little bit. So do you feel like now compared to before you had centralized this setup the way you have it right now, do you feel like now you are better able to, like, I think the GDPR is still a complex thing to understand, right? Or privacy regulation anywhere because you're serving other countries as well. But let's take GDPR as the example. I think for us technologists, it's not our our main thing we try to do as best as we can but do you feel like right now you're in a better position than you were before with regards to the gdpr yes yes it's much better than three years ago for sure i never say we are fully compliant because probably no one 
it's not even the European agency that yeah, got yeah, into yeah. some <laughs> trouble earlier, but we are more compliant than we were, or we tried to be. Like the, I think it's also about the intention of what you're doing. Like whenever an agency approaches you, which we have all, and sometimes, whenever an agency approaches you, it's important to be transparent about what you are doing with the data. They ask us, hey, how do you serve the scripts? Or, hey, what do you do with uh, consent? Yeah, we got approached in, I mean, it, it was a mistake from our side. We didn't have the banner, for example, in uh, Netherlands or France with a reject all button. We actually sold that recently. Some people see them as a witch hunt sometimes from then, but they are pretty reasonable if you're transparent about what you're doing. I agree. We don't like <laughs> being asked about this stuff because we think we are compliant and we think we are acting in the best interest. It's what it is. And, but yeah, I think that the most important part is that you are transparent about what you're doing and you're willing to correct whatever mistake that you have as soon as possible. Yeah, and I've, I, but I think the willingness, like that willingness is also tied to your ability. And I think that because of what you have built and how it is constructed now, you actually now have the ability. Whereas before you, like your only option would have been to disable the, the entire JavaScript perhaps instead of. Exactly. Yeah, disable the track, pretty much just put a rule. If you haven't accepted, just put a, an exception on the on the tag and don't fire it at all. There were no redaction of emails or more personal information and stuff like that, or serving scripts from your servers and, and all of this. So yeah, it, there was no way to do that before. Server-side tagging in this case has allowed us to, has enabled us to do that for sure. Yeah, because that's also the, the way I try to look at it. Like I think server-side tag manager in a country without a privacy regulation, server-side tag manager could be used for a lot of really cool things to enrich the data. That's what we tend to think about first, right? As, as, tech, as enthusiasts of technology. But I think the control it gives you is actually perhaps even, even more interesting and more important, especially in the times we live in right now, where I think privacy regulations, eventually the whole world will likely have a form of a privacy regulation. So having that control is essential. Yeah, it does give you a sandbox to let's call it play with the data before you actually send it to anyone. You can just uh, yeah manipulate it in any way that you need to legally or you want to as a company. Hey, I don't want to, I don't know, show up to this vendor what am I doing or I just want to send them some specific sales uh, and not everything that they track on, on their script. I just want to send them like uh, we work a lot with vouchers, for example. We'd only send to affiliates vouchers, uh, like purchases that were done with a affiliate voucher. We don't send all the purchases done globally at HelloFresh and only for that country specifically. So, so yeah, it's, it's a way to filter out first all the things that you want to send to them instead of just installing whatever JavaScript in there and leave it to them to see what the, they are tracking. And they can read your data layer because it's still on your browser and, and it's a script on your site. They can read whatever you have in there for sure. Yeah, in, in a sense, we're reallocating the complexity, right? Where before the vendors constructed, well, usually they just copied each other's JavaScript libraries and adjusted it a little bit, but they created the complexity on their end and they provided you with a script. And I think in that case, it also had to do with the stage that companies were at and the stage the internet was at. Like all these companies did not have the 
capacity to actually build this logic themselves. Like they didn't even know what JavaScript was probably. So they, they got a pixel and they were like, wow, this is working. This is good. You know, Let, let's move to the next step. So that's how it all started, right? Yeah. And, and, and it was kind of like, like I was saying before, it was a bit of a jungle uh, on, hey, uh, let's give our tag manager specialist this tag, just install it there, put the trigger on all pages and forget about it. I mean, even when we were only on client side, before server side was a thing, we actually started to limit where those pixels were actually firing uh, or those JavaScript tags, basically. So we don't need something that optimizes the conversion follow, for example, to sh show up a script or inject a script on the site on where you manage your subscription because we don't need it there. And those are different pages and they don't need to optimize or read any data there, especially because it's also a private area of the site and you can touch your settings there or input a grid or a new payment method and stuff like this. So, so yeah, it, it was before it was, uh, or, and I think it, it, it is for most sites right now, basically you install a tag, you put it on all pages and you forget about it. And that's it. Then oh, tag manager is amazing. It is amazing, but, uh, it has some downsides also. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, for instance, if uh, how the Facebook script would basically record every form submit that you did. Right. That's insane. If you think about it, that's, that's crazy. Like it's like every, like you own a physical store and then you tell to Facebook, yeah, sure. Every shop visitor that comes in here, you can put a camera on their shoulder and, and, you know, follow them around, like with everything they do while they fill out their pin code, when they pay, like everything. So, yeah, I think it's good that we are waking up in that sense. And I think privacy regulations help with that. But I think up until something like server-side tag manager, we did not really have the tools to actually make it happen while still having high quality data, right? Because we, because I think we can agree, especially for HelloFresh, like advertising works. You know, HelloFresh is a advertising heavy brand, right? You, you guys advertise a lot. And I think having conversion tracking on that to to evaluate the return on investment of campaigns and stuff like it's it isn't it is worthwhile doing it right but you want to do it in a in a in a in a nice in a clean way not in a track everybody without any consent way oh if it was up to the marketing people we we wouldn't you would have the, the banner there actually it's funny because they typically call the difference between Google Analytics data or vendor data and data warehouse, they call it discrepancy. I call it, it's not discrepancy, it's consent. <laughs> it's, it's people actually saying, no, I don't want to be tracked by a third party. I mean, you still have the purchase on our data warehouse because we do need the data that you purchased about for sure. And we have the voucher that you use. So we can still have some attribution uh, because we know where that voucher was used and in, in to which marketing channel it, it belonged yeah, that's actually very smart. Like, so, so to, to give people that don't know HelloFresh uh, an idea, like I often get a voucher, like either in the app or with the physical mail that says, this is use this special discount code to either give friends of mine boxes, you know, like give them free, like three free, free meals or a 20% discount or whatever, or for my own repurchase uh, in the future. But they all are unique codes. Yeah. If you want to reactivate, they, they are unique codes. Well, they are not unique. I mean, some, sometimes the, the, they are 
I mean, if it's a referral call, yeah, it will be unique. But for example, if even online, in online channels, we will use vouchers. If you go on a Facebook campaign, for example, we would have a voucher there. It will give you still a discount, but it's not unique to the click that you just did. It's, it's no, but it's unique to Facebook in that case, right? To add that campaign on Facebook, most probably, but yeah. Exactly. So that's a, that's a nice like backup way to... To attribute. You currently have a, a consent banner. If people opt out, you don't track. Have you thought about if people opt out, having like your own totally anonymized first party tracking? Let's call it a snowplow kind of thing where there's no user identifiers only for product analytics, basically only how do people navigate and what they do, but unable to stitch it to the user. That would be one option. I have thought about it. Many people have thought about it. I'm not going to, to attribute that to, to myself. Many people internally have thought about it, but then in the end, we reached the point of uh, how much do we need to invest to actually build an analytic solution just to measure the 15, 20% of the data that we are actually missing. It's actually curious, some insight that we got earlier down the road uh, uh, when we were implementing the banner was that we were actually by accident measuring people that rejected the banner uh, and we re realized that but then we, we it gave us a chance to 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 see something there and it was that the conversion rate from the people that actually rejected the banner was much lower and for us it was like okay we are actually yes we lose those those users but we actually are not losing that much of the data that we actually need yeah, or that you care about, yeah. Or the, let's call it quality users. Sorry to, to, <laughs> to discriminate against those that reject for no. Yeah, I mean, we weren't losing that much data to begin with. Uh, also, if I see the consent opt-in rate, let's call it like that, the opt-in rate of the banner, it widely shifts between countries. Like, for example, I, I think Nordics don't care up at all about the banner, like the acceptance of the banner is something like 95, 94% of the people give just accept all, but then you go to Germany or Netherlands or France and, and it's uh, a natural 75, 80. I don't know if I would invest that much time building an analytic solution for, for just measuring those people. We have a pretty good sample. I mean, let's take, for example, just TV uh, ratings, like they are based on it's maybe 1% of the people that have those devices historically and pretty much all the investment in TV campaigns were based on those 1% of people that had those things there. And you still make decisions based on 1% of the data. And here you have 75, 80, 90. That's a really interesting point you highlight because I think that what we're talking about in this case is loss aversion, right? We have gotten used to performance marketing metrics, which a lot of people assumed were 100% accurate. Of course, as technologists, we know they were never actually accurate, right? Because it was JavaScript metrics. So there was always, a, you know? Ad blockers or something failing there, yeah, who knows? For the the users of the tools, they had a feeling of 100% accuracy. Let's Let's put it like that. And now they are confronted with the fact that we are willingly omitting a certain percentage of the people from it. Whereas with the TV metrics, people never actually understood how those, how those things got done anyway. They just accepted what it was, right? And, 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 and went ahead with it. Yeah, exactly. And you went along with it and that's it. And you invested millions of euros or dollars <laughs> yeah. uh, 
in, in those things and in a Super Bowl ad that you don't know exactly what you are actually measuring or how many people you're actually. I think maybe what also plays a role is that we can, our minds can handle the complexity of TV where it's like, let's call it, let's call it 10 channels that matter, right? There's or 20, whatever. You can actually zap to it and see your own advertisement and be like, yeah, it's, it's on there, right? So you can verify it yourself. And with online, we cannot, you know, it's, it's too big for us. We're like, yeah, I don't know where the, like, where are all these people coming from? Are they actually coming? Are they actually clicking? So it's, it's too abstract for us to understand perhaps. It's too abstract, but in the end it has patterns and like any statistical data in the end, like you won't see a shift if you were capturing a hundred percent of the people and you're capturing 70%, you won't see a uptrend for one sample and a downtrend for the other. I mean, you would see different levels of uptrends or downtrends, but you, you won't see the opposite uh, way uh, of, of what, what's going on. Yeah. And I think one of the important things is to explain to either the company where you work at or your clients that to look, not look at absolute metrics, but instead look at trends over, over periods of time, right? Because then hopefully most of it, you know, you, you will still keep that trend intact to, uh, to steer on that, even though 20% uh, of people opt out. I mean, and I always tell the same, like, oh, but then our experiments, we don't know what, what's going on. Again, if you have a 1% increase on whatever metrics you're measuring, then it's not worth what you're doing. You're looking for, for a five, six, something significant. If you have a 1%, it's probably a, an error, like you are within the margin of error for sure. I always joke about here at HelloFresh whenever the, the, the they have a conversion rate experiment in, in the three years uh, I have been here is like, yeah, we have had conversion rates uh, increases on every experiment. We should be converting every a hundred percent of the people right now with all the increases that we have had <laughs> uh, in the past three years. I think it's a matter of having that mindset that you are having a sample of the people and it's a big sample. Even polls of elections are based on a thousand people or 10,000 people out of a country of millions. It shouldn't be an issue if you know what you're looking at, for sure. Yeah, I think this is probably a, a little bit of education that we need to help our clients and our, our internal clients or our real clients with, like, helping them process the loss of their data, you know, to mourn it and then to move on. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and they spend a lot of their time validating against different, I don't know, dashboards or Hey, GA is saying one thing. Hey, uh, Google Ads is saying this other. And my voucher data is saying this other one. Which one should I believe? All three, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You should believe all three. You cannot sum all of them or aggregate all of them. <laughs> you shouldn't. But yes, it's, it's a matter of knowing what you're looking at and dealing with that fact. And knowing that you're looking at a, a very good approximation of reality. Yeah, and also fo focusing on moving forward with what you have instead of trying to get to perfect with which will never happen, right? That's not the goal. Exactly. And that's not the goal. Your goal is to grow or increase the business or sell the popsies in this case, or sell the, the food, not to have a hundred percent clicks in all of the platforms. So switching, switching back a little bit to the privacy aspect. So you mentioned that whenever a DPA of a country reaches out with, Hey, you know, your cookie banner is configured wrong or, or whatever, you know, kind of question they have. It's important to be open to them. How have you handled the documentation of your setup? What have you guys done to support that? 
I cannot speak for every case, but for, for sure, the cases that have reached out to us or to me directly, typically they just have like a form with questions and they ask you, Hey, how are you handling this? Or, Hey, how are you handling UTM parameters or IP addresses? Or we just are <laughs> open to it and say, yeah, we, we do this. We have a proxy uh, for the scripts. We uh, redact the IP addresses and all of that. So far, those have not reached anything further than that. So uh, I cannot speak from experience. Uh, I always say we are compliant, more compliant than the next guy. They, they will go probably for the other person or the other company that, that has less compliance than us in this case. It also, it's not something that they are actu actively looking into all the sites uh, to see, oh, Let's see, uh, HelloFresh, what they are doing wrong today. No, it probably came from a complaint from a user or, or something like this. We have had users directly approaching us saying, uh, hey, I'm seeing this cookies from Facebook, but I didn't accept. And then basically, for example, we have in GA, for example, or, or, or other third parties, basically uh, just like a flag saying, yeah, you did accept. And this is the ID of the acceptance of your cookie banner. So we have a way to say, no, you did this. If you reject that, you can still opt out and of the cookies and then basically they won't show up again. And that's the thing. We are reasonable about it and we are open about it and we try to solve everything. Of course, you're, you cannot make everyone happy. Some people will still complain about it. So far, we haven't had any issues. I'm yes. touching wood <laughs> the, here that, that, uh, that we won't have uh, big ones in the future. But yeah, I mean, we try our best. Uh, we have the willingness to protect your data. And I think that's the important part inside the company, having someone that actually advocates for that. Because if you don't have it, pretty much everyone does whatever they do. And no, I will never get caught or uh, you're not that big for getting caught and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it's important to have people advocate for this internally. I've seen a presentation of yours before where you you know, explain the technical setup, which we will also do at the, uh, at the Digital Analytics Summit likely. But do you also have like maybe like an in maybe internal or perhaps also external document about about those data flows from like a privacy perspective? We do have the privacy policy, but yeah, we don't explain the flow in there for sure uh, of of how the the data is traveling internally. We do have those documents. We have the conflict pages and everything in between. But whenever a lawyer or a legal person approaches us. We basically bond them to the documentation and or have all of them explain them. I think we don't have anything facing publicly other than me speaking to you about this at, or, or at conferences, but yeah. Uh, that's actually, because this is an, like an idea I have, which I want to roll out for, for a client in the near future where we got to do their entire setup together. So instead of just jumping in somewhere in the middle, we, you know, they had a new website, so we get to do beginning to end implementation. Uh, so we also do all the documentation for them. And then I was thinking about, okay, maybe we can take a, like this documentation, which is of course for us like technical aim, but maybe we can turn it into a, let's call it open privacy audit or something where, you know, you could be proactive towards the public where you show, this is our server side setup. This is where we redact the data. This is where we cut it off. This is where, this is where we do hashing. This is right. So all those 
privacy preserving steps. This is how your data flows. This is how your data flows to, towards a third party. Yeah. But, they, but especially from a privacy perspective, you know, like not all the other data, like not how you process all the interesting data layer uh, attributes. Uh, where do you hash? Where do you store consent? Where do you... I was thinking if, if a lot of companies would do that, you know, that could also be like a positive movement. Like, hey, we take privacy seriously and this is how we have... This is how we showcase it, what we have built so far. Yeah, it's a, it's a good flag for, for, for a company to have this for sure. What I would be skeptical is not to put too many details into it uh, because then, then someone can say, oh, I don't like this. And, and how are you doing this? And you get more inquiries than you typically do and you, you would spend more resources on that. But, but I, I agree that, that maybe we should be publicizing more what we're doing, that uh, brands and, and the companies are not the bad guys. We try, some of us try to respect your choice pretty much. Definitely. But, and I think also it could help a lot. Like even like I, I saw, I saw your presentation. I think it was from super week where you, where you did this. Right. And that already gave me inspiration to think about, Hey, okay. If we, if we indeed can only use like a custom measurement protocol hit on the client side and reduce the uh, third-party JavaScript there. So hopefully Google, please give us the measurement protocol for GA4 where we can, you know, use that entirely. <laughs> in, in the end, the measurement protocol is one way to get things to the GTM server. Of course, if you're tied to a lot of the Google stuff, you, you do need some of their formats, but I mean, in the end, you can use whatever format you want. You can send a JSON. I mean, there are a lot of providers actually working on that. And you have, I don't know, the people from state. Yeah, I mean, th th there are many uh, custom scripts that send data to, to a server or construct basically a network, an HTTP request, which is what it is in the end. Construct a custom HTTP request and send it to, to the server. In this case, we chose measurement protocol V1 because it was what it was available widely. And, and, and the documentation was very open about it. And, and, and yeah, we thought that GTM server would actually require you to send things on that format. But yeah, in the end, you can send whatever you want and then just read it from a client in, in GTM server side. But, and I think companies sharing this, right? So in your case, you're, you're sharing this roadmap at presentation, but I think if, if we could open source like this privacy way of handling data, I think that we could also for a lot of smaller companies that have less resources, make it easier for them to also follow that path somehow. Maybe you will build like, yeah, exactly, a, a template in, a, in the gallery of GTM and just, hey, if you want to send server side tracking, you can just do this. I mean, we call it server side tracking, but it's actually a hybrid thing because you still depend a lot on the client for sure. But yes, I, I agree that we should have something more open, not a lot. And we'll also should open up a bit on how the requests uh, are used in GTAG. You have very weird things like the Google Ads tag replying back to the browser with a HTTP request that it needs to do to be able to set up the third-party cookie. And you need a GTAG for that. Otherwise, so basically, if you want to be able to retarget right now with Google Ads and serving GA4, for example, you need to use GTAG. You cannot use your custom solution for this. So I don't like it. I appreciate the technical aspect of it. It's really nice how they handle this, but privacy-wise, it's like, you're not doing actually anything. <laughs>
Yeah, it still forces you to uh, to play by their rules instead of. On one hand, they give you server-side tag manager where you can create your own logic. And then on the other hand, you have the Google Ads team is probably not on board with that fully. <laughs> and I get it. It's their business. And so, so they have to defend it. But yeah, and, and like I said, I appreciate the technical aspect of it. But for sure, it, it looks weird. Like getting back to the browser URL, that then that URL gets interpreted in some way to send an HTTP request. So you get the third-party cookie, which we are trying to avoid in the first place. So, so, so yeah. If you look into the near future, let's call it next three to five years. Well, that's already quite far ahead, right? But um, what would you hope to see when it comes to enhancing privacy even further? Like you already have this great setup right now. I think you are definitely ahead of the average company. You guys are definitely ahead. You have a lot of the infrastructure, let's say you have it rolled out, but what would be the features you would like to see or the things you would like to see if you, to move this to the next step? I would say more than technical stuff, because we, we are already pretty much have everything that we need to make that happen. I would say it's education on the channel managers, marketing managers, basically. And, and, uh, education on, on the sense of what we were talking about before. First, you're having a subset of the data and, and it's a big sample of it. You, you, you actually don't need to worry about so much about the quality of that. Second, it's you don't need to install pixels everywhere on your site to be able to have this. As your vendor to have an API, we need to have marketing vendors uh, also work along with us and work along with privacy-friendly things. I think it's a, an education thing and also a pressure from each one of the advertisers, uh, like, like HelloFresh or whatever other brand it is, pressuring them, hey, if you want to work with us, please. They have an API that we can send data server side or please have uh, these measures here. Hey, don't inject an iframe on my browser on your scripts because I don't know what you're injecting inside that. It's a lot of work that we are doing right now, actually. So it's, it's trying to, hey, by default, whenever someone asks, hey, does this vendor has a, an API? Let's work on that. I would say it's more on the education side and make people aware that this is privacy movement, let's call it, that privacy is a thing and people need to be sure that the data is being connected correctly or handled correctly, at least. It's about education of the managers or on the company side, especially marketing side. Product also, but yeah, marketing especially, it has a lot of issues with pixels and vendors coming out here and there. And they all have great JavaScript that track amazing things on your site. And they will improve your conversion rate by 10, 15, 50%, all of them. I think in the next three, five years, uh, where time frame you, you, you want to have, it's, it's, it's about making people aware or of what's going on and teaching people how JavaScript works and how browsers work. I mean, I think Simo is doing a great job with, with all this uh, courses, JavaScript for marketers and stuff like that. It's a thing that we actually need to make people aware of what's going on. It's also the reason why I'm doing like these talks lately and internally in the office. Hey, this is how tracking works. You get things from the cookies and the data layer and you mix them. And then if you have this on the client side, anyone can read it, not just us. I would agree. Like the, uh. I have one last question to you. Do you, what do you think 
ha- has had more impact on vendors creating conversion APIs or server-side APIs? Do you think privacy regulation had more impact or ITP ATT? Hey, that's, a, that's a good one. I would say ITP ATT and having first-party data, things like emails hashed. I read a post some time ago. I Sorry, I don't remember his name, but the, it, it was like server-side tracking and first-party data. Is it like the our new friend or is it Satan? Both. <laughs> both. Yeah. I mean, it's both. It, it, it will help you have more privacy, but then, yeah, on the other side, you have to trust that the advertiser or whoever is actually tracking you is doing the right thing with that data or that brand, basically. Like, you have to trust that HelloFresh is actually not sending the email. I mean, of course, there are regulators that will ask if that's going on or not. But yeah, it's more obscure for sure in the server-side tracking, but it also enables you to do privacy things. On your question, yes, I think ATT and ITP were uh, more impactful on that sense. They forced them. It forced their hands, basically, because the data was being cut out directly. It, it It was not a regulation that you... I mean, you should follow, uh, but you can choose not to and assess your risk about it. But this one is like, you have no choice. It's like you, the source is cutting you out of the data, basically. So you need some sort of way to, to actually get it. Yeah, it's interesting to, uh, to see how, uh, what privacy regulators tried to do got done by a couple of WebKit developers who uh, <laughs> implemented those features for whatever reason, right? Because maybe Apple has uh, some ulterior motives with it. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I won't argue about uh, like if they if they have the best uh, in, uh, intentions or not, but for sure it did move the industry as a, as a whole, for sure. It did have effect, yeah. Alejandro, thanks a lot for sharing your knowledge. If people want to hear more and more, even more technical details, not about the privacy, they should go to the Digital Analytics Summit where you're going to give a talk. What's the title of your talk? How we implemented server-side tracking on a global scale. It's not the actual title written on the slide, but yeah, it's about that. That's basically it. Yeah. So to give people a teaser, I think you have over 100 app engine instances running all the time and a, a, a really big cloud bill, right? So... Yeah, a thousand uh, hits per second. I mean, probably even more because this is uh, uh, actually uh, uh, some old material. But yeah, it's uh, it has its months now. It's a big implementation and it's a huge achievement for sure. And we did it with a small team, which is uh, I am always proud of. But like, we don't have a huge amount of developers working for for this stuff. So so yeah, definitely uh, go have a look at uh, Alejandro's talk at the event. Yeah, I want to thank you for uh, for sharing your knowledge in the podcast. If people want to follow you, where can they where can they go? You're on LinkedIn, also on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Wow, it's a bit difficult to pronounce. Uh, at Sword Nahela. So basically, it's my Alejandro spelled backwards. We're gonna put it in the show notes. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I should get a better handle for sure. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot, and we'll talk later. Same. Hey everyone, quick reminder before you close the podcast, this episode is a collaboration with the DDMA and their Digital Analytics Summit, which will take place on October 13th in Amsterdam. You can get your tickets at digitalanalyticsummit.nl and with the code LIFEAFTERGDPR in all caps, you can get a 20% discount. The event is going to be 
about all technical topics, BigQuery, server-side tracking, GA4, but also about how to build your data team, how to scale that. And of course, there will be a privacy track focused on all the topics that we discuss in this podcast. So try to be there October 13th in Amsterdam, digitalanalyticssummit.nl and use the code LIFE after GDPR for a 20% discount. Thank you.